Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Lissette. Today's guest is Rebecca Robinson. I welcome her back to the Next Chapter Experience. What's going on with you? It's so great to be back. It's an honor. I love the first podcast. It was amazing. I got so much great feedback and people have watched me grow and new people learn about my work. So it was a great experience and I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. That's fantastic. October is a really special month. Notably, October represents National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I'm just going to do a bit of a genetism here. Okay, now why domestic violence awareness is just a month? Yeah, I said the same thing. Like we were just chatting earlier. This should be every day, every week of the year. This is something that happens to people all year round. Men, women, children, everyone. The statistics are very alarming nationwide in terms of the different types of violence that are enacted against women, men, and children. So let's dig in a little bit and talk about it. Have you had an experience with that? Unfortunately, yes, I have. I didn't realize what I was experiencing. I experienced it in my marriage. And it was interesting because the way that I was raised, the way that I grew up, just my personality, I've always been super outgoing and just free spirited and just a happy person. I was a happy child. I've always been a happy adult. And I wanted to wait till the right time that I felt that it was right for me to get married. And I ended up marrying someone that I've known pretty much all my life. And I was really excited about it. What is surprising to me, and we'll probably get into that a little later in our conversation, is that you describe your childhood as being a very happy childhood. And I recall the episode that we did together, and it did appear to be that way. Your parents allowed you to explore and to grow and to be curious about things, experience a lot of things in your life. The fact that you had an experience like what you went through is surprising to me. Yeah, it was surprising to me too. And even though I had those wonderful experiences, it was like a double-edged sword for me because maybe there was a little bit of me being naive and green. And I don't want to give the impression that there's anything wrong with that, but I was not aware of how I was being treated. I just was really confused. I would say people use the word red flags a lot. There probably were a few in the beginning and I unfortunately ignored the red flags, but I was so happy to finally say that I met someone that chose me. I guess that's the best way to say it. I dated a lot, met a lot of wonderful people, but I've noticed a lot of the guys that I did, we always remain 
remain friends. We always, even if we had a breakup or some miscommunication, whatever the case may be, it was never ugly. It was never nasty. Out of all the guys that I ever dated, nobody ever proposed. No one ever really wanted like a real commitment. And I think I was really longing for that. I was longing for a relationship where a guy intentionally chose me. And the person that did that was the first time I was proposed to and the person that I married. It's interesting that you mentioned red flags and I can understand the trepidation around that. I think perhaps maybe blind spots. We all have blind spots. And that's interesting because there were a lot of people that were close to me, family and friends that saw something but I didn't. I think I was I was being selfish, too, because I wanted to be happy. Selfish because I wanted to start a family and be a wife. And I had to learn. I really had to learn from scratch. The only thing that I had was looking at my parents. So that was the only symbol of marriage relationship in my home. And so I was looking forward to that. I do remember when we were dating at the time, we were driving somewhere and I made a wrong turn or something like that. And uh, he got pretty upset with me. And so me, I was just like, oh, I could just make a U-turn and keep going or whatever. And so we ended up going back to the house and he was just really angry about it. And I was like, this is really weird. So I was home in Indianapolis just visiting my parents like I normally do. And then we were kind of in this whirlwind of dating during the summer. So I was just on cloud nine for most of the summer. He was driving me home and the whole ride home, he's yelling at me and just raging. And I was crying and I was thinking like, what on earth just happened? We pull up in my driveway. Now, when I think about it, when I open the door to leave, I should have never went back. I should have never got back in that car. But the thing is, right before I got out the car, I remember him grabbing my arm and saying, oh, don't worry about it. We can work this out. Why didn't it click to me to just say, excuse me, sir, this was totally unacceptable. Don't ever call me again. Or maybe if I would have put my foot down, something would have been different. Or maybe he was testing to see my boundaries. But see, I didn't realize that. I just thought this was some isolated incident. I stayed in the car, everything calmed down. We ended up going to the cookout. And I remember sitting at that cookout in a daze thinking, what the hell just happened? And I married this person. We started dating in like June of that summer. He proposed in August 30th. And I was like, Beck, I don't know. No, I just said, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And maybe this is how it works. And I remember calling people and just, I was so excited. And But that's just the beginning of 10 years. I can't even explain. I think we're married six, seven, yeah, we would have been married 10 years last year. Okay. So in this time now you're engaged and then the wedding was how many months after the engagement? I did ask him if he was okay waiting to be engaged for at least a year. That didn't happen. I think we were engaged for about nine months. So the wedding happened about nine months later. Okay. All right. And within that time period, were there some incidences that may have come up that you overlooked during that period of time? Or what were your thoughts that now that you're engaged, he chose you and that generally is the fantasy that most women have are engaged and people know we're going to get married. Was there any type of fear of the occurrence happening again or did one happen? It kept 
happening. It was really strange, but it was a slow type of, I can call it abuse. But back then it was a lot of hot and cold. And a lot of people have definitions for different things. And I just said, maybe the person just has these mood swings, but they were very drastic, very high, very low, very high, very low. So over the course of several months, it just kept getting worse and worse. So probably about two years in, I had gotten conditioned to it which was pretty bad. It wasn't normal, but I had gotten used to it. And it got so bad where I was working part-time at the time. I had these really weird hours. I had to be there like at four or five in the morning. And I remember I would pull into the parking lot and I would sit for at least 30 minutes in my car because I was so tired all the time. And I would just go on my phone and I was trying to figure out what was going on. And thank goodness for YouTube, because I just plugged in. I was literally sitting in the parking lot and I plugged in. My husband is nice to me sometimes and mean to me or hot and cold. And so these videos started coming up and I just kept getting closer. And I was like, wow. Then it started going into cycles of something and these really fancy words about something. And then the word narcissistic abuse came up and narcissism. And I'm thinking, what is that? And a lot of people say, oh, if you're a narcissist, this means you're really just self-absorbed. But it was totally different. So I looked up the cycle and you do have this honeymoon phase, which a lot of people do. You get into a relationship and everything's all high. And even before the honeymoon, it's the love bombing stage. You know what I'm saying? A lot of women get that. It's almost like a copy and paste kind of thing. It pulls you in, your wine and dine and this and that. So the love bomb, the honeymoon stage. And then it goes into this devalue stage. But see, you have to keep in mind, I don't know what these things really are as it relates to me. I had to learn over a course of time. So I'm able to speak of now because I understand. So the devaluing was happening gradually. It was a slow burn. The devaluing could be anything from just nitpicking. Why did you wear that? Or did you gain a little weight? Or why are you doing that? Just to get me psychologically thinking something's wrong or then it goes into the discard phase which the discard phase that happened so many times throughout the relationship but we can go into that a little bit more deeply but as I'm talking about the cycles so after the discard then there's the hoover and they reel you back in and then you go through the whole love again and it just goes on and on and this went on years Wow. Wow. So during that period of time, you weren't doing as much of your passion. You weren't as creative during those years as you are right now. So do you think that part of how you were feeling about your self-worth during that period of time had something to do with why you were accepting his behavior and how that might have prevented you from really getting into your groove as it relates to the creative work that you're doing now? Yes, absolutely. I, I've been an artist, a creative all my life, but as a professional artist, it's a lot of work and you have to have thick skin. And I was always beating myself up because I felt like I hadn't achieved certain goals or was I ever going to make it to what I thought success was. And it was even better for me that I finally felt like I had married someone that would love me and support me and 
be a buffer for me to encourage me and I could do the same for this person but it backfired on me and I was so hurt because I almost felt failure I felt like I was constantly reminded that I hadn't made it I hadn't found my voice or why wasn't I at this point in my career like my colleagues whatever the case I was constantly reminded of that because of him reminding me of so I was beating myself up a lot and the emotional and psychological abuse had gotten so bad that even going to work at 4 a.m to scan boxes in a truck was a relief for me wow people that work in those type of conditions I've always had a job a part-time whatever full-time to support my career my art career and people have worked in those conditions when it's hot outside it's hot in there when it's cold inside it's cold in there and it's brutal it's labor intensive it's really difficult but that was an escape for me and specifically I remember I was at the point I said, I'm not going to make it through this. I'm obviously a terrible wife, a terrible partner. I'm not doing anything. My career is just at a standstill. I don't know. I invested a lot in trying to assist him with his business and building his brand and doing everything that I could to help him. Not to say that there wasn't some support here and there over the years, but I didn't understand why it kept going back to what I wasn't doing. Why did it keep going back to what's your fault and the way you think or the way you grew up? And so now I'm battling like, okay, is being me so wrong? Did I get it all wrong? Did my parents get it wrong? How does this person understand the dynamics of Becky Robinson? Like it just wasn't making sense to me. And I was so down one day that I was sitting in my car. It was like four in the morning. It was dark. And I would just sit there and listen to music. And I just remember crying. And I said, and keep in mind, this is at least three, four years in at this time. And I really thought about, it's hard for me to say it, but ending my life, I thought it would be better. This is not how it's supposed to be. No, I just hated that I had those thoughts. There was a song that I used to talk about, but Kendrick Lamar and this song called All Right. I always tell people to look at the video. And I was sitting in my car, I was watching the video and it's so powerful and gritty and grainy and the message, we gonna be all right. And I just kept saying that. I said, Becky, there's got to be something you got to say. There's something that's important that you want to do with your artwork. And everyone remembered me from doing the handbags and these beautiful, bright, colorful paintings and just this bubbly type of person. But I didn't feel that way. I felt horrible about myself. I hated where I was in my life. I hated feeling like I was a failure. And When I got off work that day, I said, this video, it reminds me of something like street and something strong or something. And how can I convey that message with my work? And I started buying the concrete and the tar and all these materials and wood. It all came from watching that video. And it gives me chills every time I think about it, that the artwork that was created from that hurt and that pain. And then I ended up really experimenting with the concrete. And probably maybe five or six months later, I was offered an opportunity to do a show, an exhibit. And I said, I want to do something with the concrete. And I ended up doing six paintings. And it was the stages of emotional and psychological abuse. And the people that saw those paintings, they were in awe. They were like, these are so powerful. And I never said it was about me. I never told anyone 
it was my story. And I kept that secret until this day. I've never publicly said anything to anybody. That's amazing. That's part of the process, the healing process, to look at the root cause of the pain and almost give it a name, you know what I mean? And identify it. And it sounds like that's what you did. I did. I became an expert at it. I've just always been that way. Anything that I do, I like to do my homework and do research about it. And I got so obsessed with understanding. I think it made it easier to put a label on it or a definition because I said, what is happening to me? Why am I being treated this way? Why am I even taking this form of abuse? That was another thing too. I said, well, obviously there's something wrong with me. I have some trauma too, that I'm allowing this. And narcissism isn't just in a domestic situation or just with a lover or a husband or wife or what have you. It comes from family, siblings, who you work with, your colleagues, someone in line at the grocery store. This is an epidemic of people. What's interesting about what you just said, though, is in retrospect, and I'm rewinding the tape as I'm listening to you and trying to pinpoint the timeline. And to your point, when you consider domestic violence or you consider a narcissist and their behavior and you focus on them, most of my comments was, he's a freaking asshole and he needs to stop. However, I wasn't really considering where you were in the equation in terms of the whys behind why you felt that you were not worthy of better behavior, being treated better emotionally and the support that you needed at that time. My focus was more on the fact that he was an asshole. Right. And everybody did. Anyone that loved me, cared about me, they noticed it really quick because the isolations. I didn't realize I was being isolated. I didn't, I never lost friends, but he isolated me from them because when you start isolating, that means I don't have contact with people that will tell me, run, get out of harm's way. Something's not right. You see what I'm saying? You start to question your friendships or relationships. Oh, every one of them. Every one of them. It was a problem. Didn't like this person was this and that. Then it makes me think. It even got to the point where I would try to reach out to certain people that I trusted just to explain. And they couldn't get, they didn't get it. You know what I mean? But I needed to vent. But then the question was, why do you keep going back? Why do you keep subjecting to And I kept thinking like, well, I don't know. I love this man. I'm married to him. I don't know. Maybe this is something we could work out. Maybe we could go to counseling. Maybe we could do this. Then you find out the people who are counseling have no idea or experience in dealing with this type of abuse. And I didn't realize that. I almost felt like I had to stop talking about it because people were tired of hearing about it. But then I felt horrible because I said, if I keep talking about it and saying how awful this is, how awful he's treating me, then people are going to say, this is what you're going to get. You're going to keep going back. What do you think is going to happen? So then that's where it gets really dangerous because when people feel like they can't even talk about it anymore or vent to anyone anymore because of shame, I was ashamed and I did everything to try to fix that marriage. But in my mind, I said, I made a commitment. I took vows. This person chose me. This is for better, for worse. But I feel like it had nothing to do with me. And I've come to that realization. The abuse is one thing, but I don't think it was really directed at me. It was more projection. That's how I look at it. Everybody has their own insecurities. It just heightened it. It almost solidified it in a way because once someone drills something into you so long, I started saying, maybe I am not that great 
maybe I'm not that talented. Maybe I'm not making the money that I thought of. Why am I not at the same level in my career? Maybe I'm so all these things were happening with narcissistic abuse. There's so much to cover, Jeanette. There's so much. I used to be so tired. My friends used to always say, you're always tired. You always say you're tired. You're tired. Sleep deprivation. I didn't realize I was being deprived of rest every day. I couldn't rest. I couldn't. I just was on eggshells all the time. I was always afraid that I was going to get in trouble, almost like a child. That's how I felt I was being treated. And that's a terrible way to come home and feel like, oh my gosh, what did I do today where I'm going to get my ass chewed out about something? And this went on for years. That's remarkable. And uh, as I'm listening to you and I'm considering the elements of the amount of emotional weight for you to carry, especially by yourself. My mom has passed. It's been about four or five years. And my mother passed during that time. So even today, I've never had a chance to really grieve the loss of my mother. I almost felt guilty because if I didn't give a certain amount of attention or if my mind was elsewhere, I was almost led to believe that that was wrong. I didn't have a chance to really grieve the loss of my mother. And now my mother is gone and I'm taking care of my father. He's 90 years old. During this time, I don't want to tell my father about these things that are happening to me. But he knew something was going on. I was scared to tell him because I didn't want to hurt him. It was an incident that happened. I think this was probably like maybe 2015. 20, yeah, it was 2015. And we got into this huge argument about whatever. But I ended up locked out the house on the front lawn. I just always felt like I didn't have a home. I always had to come back home to my father. But I couldn't tell him what had happened because how embarrassing. I'm, I can't believe I'm in this situation. How did Rebecca Robinson in this situation? And my father's a very smart man. And he knew some things were going on. And he used to. I always say, Becky, if you keep going back, nothing's going to change, but I can't tell you what to do. I want you to know, no matter what, you come home. Thank God for daddy. And many of us who don't have a daddy, it's sometimes it's mom, but he knew the signals and signs. This whole narcissist and the gaslighting that goes along with it as they try to make you believe that there's something that is wrong with you. Think about this for a second. To some extent, there may be some validity to that. Only from the standpoint, when you allow that in your life, a person like that, there's a reason why you stayed. Yes, it was familiar. It was familiar. That's the scary part. There was someone in my life, something in my life that was familiar to me. My mother suffered from depression. She was just sad. But I was a kid. I didn't understand why she was sad. But I remember there were certain things where my mother would get upset with me and didn't speak to me for a few days, a week, whatever. When my husband would get upset with me, he would ghost me, wouldn't talk to me for a week. That's familiar. My own sibling, one of my brothers, I was very close to him, but some of the behavior that he had, that was familiar. Certain things that my ex-husband did, I said, wow, that's really interesting that my brother used to do that or say that or grab me or do something like that. People always, I felt like they protected me and they treated me a certain way. But my parents, I think, trusted too much that other people would love me and care for me the same way they did. And what happened, sometimes I would be in other people's company and they would abuse me. They would. And they knew I was sweet. I remember, I will never forget this. Mrs. Byers, she used to take care of me when I was little. I think I was like two or three and she would take me to church with her. And I don't know who it was. It was some young girl 
and she took me to the bathroom and I was only three and I remember we went into the bathroom I'll never forget the color of the bathroom and I still cannot stand the color it was like this bluish bathroom and so we went to the bathroom so she's trying to help me get in the stall I'm, I'm a little thing and she passed out and started like acting like she was having a seizure she's like bouncing all over the floor and jumping around I'm three and I'm crying and I'm I don't know what's going on and she jumps up and she's laughing and she's pointing at me those are things that are implanted in my mind I'm such a visual person I just were certain things like that that I feel like there were certain people that would take the opportunity when they had me alone to do some type of harm or try to change the way I thought. It's very strange. That is very strange. And that's the damage that gets caused with children. I remember growing up and it was a very long time before my mother would allow anyone to babysit. She didn't trust other people. She yeah. just simply did not trust other people. And I never had that experience. I simply did not have that experience because my mother didn't trust anyone. She was like a mama bear. She's extremely protective of us. So to hear that here, you are at the age of three to put that kind of trauma on you and it left an indelible mark for reasons that go beyond this conversation but it has an impact it does it does and I honestly think I needed my mother my father was hardworking. he was busy taking care of family and home and all the things that he had on his plate I just really think my mother would have been an intricate part of this I, maybe I would have never even gotten married because I would have had my mother there to say all right okay that's cool you want to get married? what's going on here there was no one there really to guide me but you think someone's an adult should be able to make sound decisions but I was a little bit behind when it came to certain things because I was just so excited about the love I was just in love I didn't think about the other part of it and I signed up for something that I'll never forget this is 10 years of my life and that has taken so long for me to understand and to try to heal and be honest and transparent about it just like I said I was ashamed as an artist I do a lot of public events I do a lot of exhibitions I'm in front of a lot of people and you can look at my timeline you can remember when you saw me whether it was yesterday or five or ten years ago I always had a smile on my face I always was warm and friendly but I was hurting on the inside and I was crying on the inside. I might have been crying right before I came in the venue. I remember when it was Thanksgiving and uh, you came over to the house. And for some reason, when you met my mom, there was something about your energy. And my mother said to me, poor baby. And she wanted to embrace you. I think that's the very first time you ever met my mom. I think so too. She just felt that from you. I had this book that I was just, I was gifted with. Shift your thinking where you stand. So in other words, no matter what hand you are dealt with, you have to make the best of that hand and learn how to win based on the circumstances. And uh, I believe from what I've seen and what I know of you, I've known you for quite a while. We may not have been that super, super tight or anything like that, but yeah. knowing of you from when you were a youngster, as my mother would say, all the way to being a mature woman, I have seen you go through different phases. And of course, through our mutual friends, I would hear how you're doing and what kinds of things you're involved in and with that type of thing. But it does appear that over the last, I would say two or three years, and maybe Maybe even more that change has happened with you at the speed of your self-worth and safety. It seems that about now you feel safe. I could be wrong, but let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would have to agree. Feeling safe 
is an intricate part of healing. I did not know how to properly heal because I had a, a problem with ruminating. Like I said, I'm a super visual person, very intuitive, sensitive. I just kept replaying things over and over, trying to find answers, trying to do this, trying to answer questions that you want, might not have the answer to. So I really had to dive really deep into Becky and take the focus off of him and what's going on with me. And soon as I started to hone in on and I said, you know what, it's okay that you didn't know. It's okay that you had this experience because you won't do it again. It's okay to forgive. And I'm a forgiving person. I did it. Just like I said, I went back a 10, like they say, the statistics, women go back six, seven times. I probably went back 10, 12 times, but I had to get to a point where I said, I deserve more. I deserve better, not just in a relationship, but just me as a person. I deserve to treat myself better. You know what I mean? And that took a lot. I didn't want to feel guilty anymore for if I'm tired, I'm tired. If I want to take a nap, I want to take a nap. If I want to take a walk, if I want to take a quick vacation, if I want to spend some money, if I want to whatever. It's so wonderful to just have free will. And I didn't realize I wasn't having that for the longest. I felt like I was indebted to someone. I almost felt like I owed this to someone. You better get it right. Nobody's ever going to want you again. You're not good enough. You're not this and that. That has nothing to do with me. All that had nothing to do with me. So even today, I'm still learning and thank God that I have my art to express myself. Think about people who don't have an out. And I don't mean just painting. If you write, maybe you sing, maybe you dance, maybe whatever it is, everybody needs to find a healthy balance and an outlet because we are all suffering from some type of trauma. We're all suffering from something that has hurt us or someone who has done us wrong. But my journey is I'm being honest and transparent so I can help other people. Or finally, someone can say, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. And I had no idea that was you. Maybe you can inspire me. And a lot of people that are in my life, friends, family, whatever, you call me about anything, whether it's something to do with business, art, whatever, or personal, I always just show this amazing support and show that I care. Mm -hmm. And empathy, when it comes down to someone that's a narcissist, there's no empathy. You can't, you can't do anything about that. There's no pill for it. There's no method for it. There's no rhyme or reason. Just like someone who's an animal lover and someone who isn't, it's just black or white. You know what I mean? It's just, mm -hmm. is what it is. I'll never understand people who abuse animals, but oh. then I'm the type of person to see a hit dog. I'm going to pull over three lanes of traffic and almost kill myself to save this animal. So it's just how we're wired. Mm -hmm. One thing I can say, empathy, if you don't have that, if you don't have it, you're doomed. Well, to continue the life that you have and to that person, you do you, but just stay away from me because I, I can't use any of your energy. Thank you. That is the bottom line. I read something recently and I'm going to quote it here. Purpose comes from an intersection of our talent and our pain. That's very powerful. So as I think about that series that you put together that really demonstrated what you were going through emotionally that we really didn't understand. We just accepted it for what it is. And you, if you put 
a label on that emotion. I'm wondering if we were to go back and look at that series that you did, could we identify or at least see it from a different perspective now? Oh, absolutely. And I hope people do. I hope that the people that were touched by it and moved and didn't know it directly related to me. Now it opens their eyes even more to look back. All you got to do is look at artwork from 2015 to now. And do you know the first time I actually started incorporating color was about three or four months ago. I didn't want to paint in color. Everything was black and white, gray tones, because that's just how I felt. But now I'm coming into this. I don't even want to say it. it is a new Becky, but it's also the old and original Becky. And I love her. I missed her. And I keep attracting all these wonderful things because I was always this light. I always had this energy, but it was dimmed. Everything that was good, I felt was being torn away or all the things that made me unique. It was stripped from me. And all those layers I've shed. And when I walk down the street or I go somewhere and I have this smile and people come up to me and I attract all these things, I'm like, oh my God, the universe is working. It was working. It was like, get rid of that. Whatever's going on over there, goodbye. Do that over there. And I can finally focus on my art and the beauty of using that as my voice and people really connecting with my work. And my most recent piece, I'm so proud of it. And most of the titles of my work, Protected, Introspect, Present, Self-Love, Soul Searching, now even just people to go back and look internal flame, all these things were things that I was feeling. And now I can be perfectly honest on why I created those pieces. That's really remarkable. And uh, what I'm feeling is an intense understanding that you Uh, slayed that monster. Yes. And this person thought, I know they thought I would never, ever get out. And not even physically, mentally. And I was stuck because I was programmed, reprogrammed. And I said, if this is my life, I guess I have to accept that. And then it just hit me out the blue. I can't even remember when exactly it hit me. I think it was when I was saying to myself, tomorrow isn't promised. Who knows? I might live to be 90 like my dad. Or maybe tomorrow's my last day. I don't want to not have an opportunity to experience healthy relationships and love and kindness. Just human decency. And I said, I will not allow this anymore. And I know it's going to hurt. I know I'm going to cry a lot and feel sad. Maybe some abandonment didn't matter. I was going to do the work and I'm still doing the work, but I'm happy. I wake up every morning and say, thank you with gratitude. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Even this whole experience. Thank you. Me so much. That little girl, Becky, I'm still always going to be that little girl. I'm always going to have that spirit. I'm always going to be that kind and loving person because that's who I am. That's who I am at my core. And I want to continue to be that. I shouldn't be ashamed to be that person. I shouldn't. And I'm just happy. I am genuinely happy. Coming to grips with that and knowing that you are definitely worthy of happiness, worthy of joy, and worthy of peace, and worthy of being creative and letting your light shine. Yes. You own that now. And I can see it. I can see the difference. And I can only say that the walk and your message has been communicated through your art and also through word. As you have grown into this woman that you are right now, 
without the shackles of emotional pain and bondage that you had with this individual. You have basically slayed that monster. And I would contend, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, a psychiatrist, but I do believe that the feelings that, that you had involving this other person are one thing, but the feelings that you have that are more introspective of who you are and what you deserve to have, you rediscovered that. And you turned the tables around and flipped the switch and said, you know what? The time is now to do the work on me. On me. And mm-hmm. I do want to say, while it's on my mind, I want to say thank you to all the people who continue to love on me and believe in me. And I also want to apologize to all the people that hated to see me hurting. I apologize because I just was trying to make it and I was ashamed But I want to say thank you to everybody, my friends and family who continue to love me and support me because they knew I was going to make it. They knew it. They knew. And they're so happy. You know how many phone calls and texts I get with people saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy to see you smiling. You're glowing. You're happy. So I do want to say thank you to everybody that loved on me. Gratitude is a powerful energy force. They're happy tears. Those words are going to be well taken by who is intended for. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. There are so many great things that have been happening since you have been working on yourself. And now your light is shining, as you said in our first podcast episode, you said that you feel like you are being loved. Yes, You feel loved and that's a beautiful thing. So in between all of this, I know that we're going to have to wrap things up because your time is at a premium, but what's next for Becky Robinson? What's next for Rebecca Robinson? So many wonderful things. Indianapolis has just been wonderful to me. My art colleagues and friends, I'm doing so many beautiful art exhibits around the city and continuing to do community service. I sit at least five or six different boards here because I want to contribute towards our culture and arts and the youth teaching art. I'm still doing that, doing my side projects and nonprofit ideas. Now I have so much room to just continue all the things that I've always wanted to do. Something that's super major that's happening, actually, the opening reception is Thursday, and I'm so excited you will be joining me and my my 90-year-old father is going to be there, and, and Jackie, and just family and friends are going to be there at Newfields. This is history. The 18 of us that did the Black Lives Matter mural in 2020 on Indiana Avenue. We will be featured at Newfields for one year. One year our work will be there. And this is such an honor. And I'm just, I don't know, it couldn't have happened at a better time because I can bask in it and I can be happy about it. And there's just, the sky's the limit at this point. There's a lot more to see. It's a lot more to see. I'm looking forward to the event on Thursday evening. Take care of Dr. Robinson and making sure that he's going to be taken care of while you are basking in the glory of that event. And I told him, I said, I don't care. Wheelchair and everything. You better have your butt there. So I think he said he's going to wear his Black Lives Matter hoodie. I said, that's cool. Wear whatever you want. Just be there. And I also have a surprise for him, too. I haven't told him. I had been working on it for a year or so. And I'll reveal that later. So everyone keep an eye out for that because it's really just preserving his legacy, too. And just to keep letting him know how much I loved him and to thank him for 
been here in my life. Absolutely. I know you've got this fire burning inside you. Let's talk about your internal flame. Internal flame. So yes, with my healing, like I said, it's super intentional. You do have to learn how to be still and be present and learn how to meditate. And it was really important for me, like I said, to share my story. So I'm actually launching the website is called yourinternalflame.com. And they're going to be healing candles. And each candle will be each stage of recovery. So whatever stage you're in, or maybe you need all the candles, I don't know. But the whole point is for people to really get to know about abuse, whether physical, emotional, psychological, it's all abuse, but also the importance of the recovery and finally being transparent about it happening to me. And a portion of those proceeds for these candles, I want to use that to be able to do workshops and panels and speak to young people about noticing the signs and being able to reach out for help. And I think that's really important to have a good support system. We will put all that information in the show notes. Yeah. Make everyone aware of all these great things that are happening to you in your life. You look fabulous. I'm so happy to see you again. (laughs) Don't be a stranger to the next chapter experience because this chapter in your life is on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jeanette, for having me. It's always an honor. And please, everyone, please go check out my work and look at it again. Look at each piece again. Look at the titles. And now you have a better perspective of what I was actually trying to say. I've enjoyed our conversation, Rebecca Robinson, and we'll be talking soon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.